the Derek Chauvin verdict absolutely should be thrown out as new evidence shows a biased juror. You heard me, a biased juror wearing a Black Lives Matter Get Your Knee Off Our Necks t-shirt at a George Floyd police brutality rally months before the trial. So much for an impartial jury. Plus the reality of the Israel-Hamas conflict. This is not a land dispute, obviously. Iran is behind Palestinian violence. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. Thank you for joining us today. I got you to stick around from episode one all the way to episode two, so I count that as a win. I aim to be your go-to podcast when you need to know, is that true? What are the facts? Is this reality? The left's Achilles heel, of course, is either they lie and assume that you won't fact check them, or they're ignorant and assume you won't do your research. Well, I know my audience. I know you guys. I know you do your research. So together, you and I are going to destroy that modus operandi and be champions of reality instead. Because now is not the time to cave to the radical left or to cave to corporate wokeism or cultural Marxism or squishy establishment Republicans or AOC or teachers unions or big tech. No. Now is the time to be a cultural warrior and never back down. So do not be a squish because we have no room for squishes on this show. Okay, yesterday was the anniversary of the day George Floyd died. You probably saw it all over social media. And we didn't talk about this topic yesterday out of respect for his humanity. But today, we're going to break down the reality of the situation. But first, speaking of freedom and liberty and justice for all, I want to talk to you about the Young America Foundation's National Conservative Student Conference. This is a pretty cool event. If you're a college student or you know a college student who wants to hang out with other young conservatives, maybe you feel marginalized on your campus, if you want to be inspired and empowered to fight the culture wars alongside people like me, then I have the perfect opportunity for you. The Young America's Foundation is hosting their annual National Conservative Student Conference in Texas. No masks, just freedom. And it's going to be an event you do not want to miss. I've actually spoken at this event at this event in the past. It's a great event, truly one of the best events available to young conservatives. You'll hear from greats like Vice President Mike Pence, from Congressman Chip Roy, Senator Ted Cruz, Lila Rose, my friend Ryan Anderson. You'll learn about free markets, the important issue of life, how government, big government, is a danger to us all. And you'll get to learn how you can fight back. It also only costs $150 to attend this five-night, one-of-a-kind program. That includes your meals, your hotel, almost everything. So go to yaf.org slash events right now to sign up for YAF's National Conservative Student Conference. And please tell them the Liz Wheeler Show sent you. You aren't going to want to miss this. Okay, so the Derek Chauvin verdict absolutely should be thrown out. This shouldn't be controversial. This is just reality. New evidence shows a biased juror wore a t-shirt that read on the front of the t-shirt, get your knee off our necks. This juror wore this t-shirt at a rally, a police brutality George Floyd rally months before the trial, actually almost a year before the trial. So let's get one thing straight at the very beginning. It doesn't matter if you think that Derek Chauvin, the police officer involved in George Floyd's death, it doesn't matter if you think Derek Chauvin is guilty or if you think he's not guilty or if you think there's somewhere in between. That's not the point. The questions that we have to ask is this, was Derek Chauvin given a fair trial? Because remember, regardless of whether he's guilty or not guilty, Derek Chauvin has a constitutional right to a fair trial. So was this man given a fair trial? This is how we determine whether he was given a fair trial. To start, 
the judge refused to sequester the jurors. Now, this is an important factor in any trial that has as much publicity as the Derek Chauvin trial because when you are a juror, anybody who's been impaneled on a jury knows this, when you're on a jury, you're not supposed to read the news, you're not supposed to read information or watch anything about the case that you are trying right? You're supposed to just listen to the facts as they're presented by the prosecution and the defense. And if it's a case with as much publicity surrounding it as the Derek Chauvin trial, you can't escape that. You can't go out, you can't live really without seeing on social media, on the news, on your smartphones, everywhere, references to this trial and to people's perceptions of what happened the day that George Floyd died, right? So the judge should have sequestered these jurors and he didn't. So that's strike number one in the question of were, was Derek Chauvin given a fair trial? How can these people even pretend, the jurors pretend that they didn't see and hear the riots in the news, especially when some of them lived in neighborhoods that were threatened by the Black Lives Matter rioters? Okay, so that's that's number one. Number two, Congresswoman Maxine Waters, a high-ranking Democrat, she actually threatened violence. She threatened increased violence in this vicinity, in these neighborhoods where the jurors lived and worked and have businesses and where their family and friends reside. She threatened violence if Derek Chauvin was not found guilty on all accounts. Take a listen. What happens if we do not get, get what you just told? What should the people do? What should protesters on the street do? I didn't hear you. What happens? What should protesters do? Well, we, we got to stay on the street. Uh, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they, they know that we need business. Okay, and then as if that's not bad enough, not just Maxine Waters, but the president of the United States, Joe Biden. The president of the United States literally told jurors how that they were supposed to vote. Listen. I'm praying the verdict is the right verdict, which is, I think it's overwhelming in my view. I mean, these politicians, these Democrats know better than to do this. How can you pretend that a jury would be unbiased when they are being influenced? Not They're being threatened by Maxine Waters and influenced by Joe Biden telling them that there's one right verdict, you can't have a fair trial. They just ruined it. Okay, so that's that's number two and number three. But then we have element number four here that makes this an unfair trial. One of the jurors, his name is Brandon Mitchell. He's essentially a Black Lives Matter activist in a sense. He wore this t-shirt twice. You can see the photograph of him wearing this at a rally. This rally was in Washington, D.C. He's wearing this at a George Floyd rally in Washington, D.C. Get your knee off our necks. Okay, that's the first time. The second time is he hosts a podcast apparently on YouTube and he wore it during his podcast. Take a look. Okay, so Brandon Mitchell wore this. Brandon Mitchell, a chauvin juror, wore this George Floyd police brutality themed t shirt twice. But get this. He claims he doesn't remember ever putting it on. He doesn't remember wearing it. He just, I don't know, maybe it walked out of his closet and climbed on onto his shoulders and dressed him for himself. Who knows? How do you not remember this? You're going to a rally themed after police brutality and George Floyd. You wear a t-shirt that says, get your knee off our necks. And then you rewear it months later. I believe it was May to October. May 2020 was the rally. And then October 2020 was when his YouTube video of his podcast was published. You don't remember that you own this t-shirt? I'm sorry, I don't buy that. I do not buy that. So here, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. The question is, did this juror lie to the judge? Because it's important to know whether he did. He claimed that he had heard very little about George Floyd's case in general, which seems implausible given 
how much publicity has surrounded this, uh, this in our country as a whole this past year. Brandon Mitchell said no when he was asked if he had participated in demonstrations against police brutality in Minneapolis or anywhere else since Floyd's death. He said no. No, he had not participated in demonstrations against police brutality in Minneapolis or anywhere else. But when he was in Washington, D.C., he was standing next to a man. You can see it in the picture. He was standing next to a man that had a sign about police brutality, police reform, and George Floyd. Floyd's family spoke at that rally. The purpose was to build support for the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act. Obviously, this guy is not telling the truth, right? Brandon Mitchell misled the judge. At the very least, that's a kind way of saying it looks like he lied, which means that he wasn't unbiased. So if he's not an unbiased an unbiased juror, then the jury itself was biased, which means that Derek Chauvin, whether you think he's guilty or whether you think he's not guilty, he was deprived of his constitutional right to a fair trial. Okay, so the verdict absolutely should be overturned based just on that. Plus, the evidence doesn't meet the standard of what he was charged with. Let's walk through that. So Derek Chauvin faced three charges, second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and manslaughter. Okay, second-degree murder is what's known as felony murder. It's murder that is committed during the commission of another felony, right? In this case, the accusation was Derek Chauvin was committing assault against George Floyd, and George Floyd died during the commission of the assault, the felony assault, okay? But here's my question. How can the chokehold be assault when it's a legally permissible hold, meaning the police department sanctioned it? Now, you can argue whether or not the police department should sanction holds like this. That's an argument that can be had, sure. But the fact of the matter is, at the time, it was a permissible hold. So how can it be assault when it's a legally permissible hold? Okay, so for second-degree murder, you have to have the intent to harm someone. How can you intend to harm someone when you're using a legally permissible hold? How can it be a felony when it's a legally permissible hold? I don't think it can be. Therefore, I don't think that the second-degree murder charge is valid. Okay, so the next charge, third-degree murder. Third-degree murder is known as depraved indifference homicide, right? This statute does simply doesn't apply to facts like this case. It, the judge should have thrown it out from the beginning because depraved indifference homicide essentially means, and this is the classic example, right? Some nut job who fires a gun indiscriminately into a crowd of people. He, I guess, knows that he will kill people, but he's not targeting individuals in and of themselves. And it applies to multiple people, as in a wanton disregard for a mass, for a mass of lives, right? So this doesn't even meet the standards of what that would look like because Derek Chauvin was in a one-on-one interaction with George Floyd, right? So it wasn't any wanton disregard for multiple people's lives. And the multiple people part is critical because in the state, the state statute reads with a multiple, it's plural. You have to have multiple people, okay? So the third degree murder charge shouldn't have even been allowed to be tried. It doesn't even apply to the facts of the case. At most, Derek Chauvin should have been charged with manslaughter, perhaps convicted of manslaughter, because, and this is the kicker in the case for me, because he kept kneeling on George Floyd's neck or back or shoulder and refusing medical care even after Floyd had passed out. That's the argument in favor of manslaughter that could be made, right? The standard for manslaughter is culpable negligence. There's no criminal intent that's necessary. Culpable negligence means that there's gross negligence coupled with an element of recklessness. So for example, George Floyd was in the custody of Derek Chauvin. Derek Chauvin had a responsibility to give medical care to him 
if he needed it. And he did need it when he passed out while in the chokehold uh, by Derek Chauvin. Okay. So at the very, very worst, manslaughter should have been the only valid charge. The other two, third degree murder simply wasn't valid. And second degree murder, there weren't, it didn't meet the elements of the statute. Right. So all in all, this trial, the trial of Derek Chauvin wasn't fair. And it's not controversial to say this. This is just the reality of the situation. It's the reality of the situation. And that's what we're about on this show. Also, Joe Biden and Maxine Waters, they knew probably that the jury was going to find Chauvin to be guilty, right? The enormous public pressure that was on this jury, the fact that the jury essentially thought that they were conducting a referendum on racism in our country or systemic racism in police in our country, and they didn't seem to be interested in the facts of the elements of the statutes. Biden and Waters seemed like they knew that Chauvin would be found guilty, and perhaps they knew that this would mean no riots, which doesn't help the agenda of the radical left. So perhaps Biden, perhaps Waters made these comments knowing that the verdict would be thrown out on appeal because those kind of comments make it an unfair trial. And if the verdict is thrown out on appeal, that will cause riots. Perhaps. Perhaps it will. Okay. Speaking of me and my show, were we? All right, speaking of me and my show, please, I invite you to become a Liz Wheeler Show VIP on Locals. Locals is a social media platform that was started by my pal, Dave Rubin, because he was tired of big tech censorship. Aren't we all tired of that? He wanted to make sure there was a place where free speech reigned supreme. And so he started Locals. On Locals, you can join the Liz Wheeler Show community, and we have so much fun. There's so many benefits for you to be over there and joining. I've been censored time and time again by Facebook and YouTube on locals. I don't have to worry that I will be censored for speaking reality to you. I don't have to worry that my videos are going to be yanked down. I don't have to worry that I won't be able to talk to you. I don't have to worry that you won't be able to talk to me. If you are a Liz Wheeler Show community VIP subscriber, you get access to all kinds of benefits, behind the scenes stuff. You get access to interview segments, extended segments of this show, live question and answers, interaction with me and all kinds of other fun stuff. And it's a good price. It's either $9 a month or $72 per year for annual subscribers. That's four months free. And if you know me, you know I can't pass up a good deal. So please, please, please head on over to lizwheelershow.com slash locals today and join our community. It's great over there. Okay, so continuing to talk about the Derek Chauvin trial and the death of George Floyd, let's talk about how this came into being, right? Because this doesn't just happen, meaning it doesn't become a national, international news story without there being some lead up to it. It's the second or the third iteration of something else. So what is the something else that led to this being such an international news story? Well, what led to that is the narrative perpetuated by the Black Lives Matter movement. And the narrative, the Black Lives Matter movement narrative is just a lie. It's an absolute lie. It's being perpetuated, however, by very powerful people, including Michelle Obama, who said the following to CBS. Listen. All those Black Lives Matter kids, they'd rather not have to worry about this. They're taken to the streets because they have to. They're trying to have people understand that that we're real folks. And the fear that many have of so many of us is irrational. Did you hear what she had to say? All those Black Lives Matter kids, they'd rather not have to worry about this. They're taken to the streets because they have to. They'd rather not have to worry about what? About looting Foot Locker, breaking into T-Mobile stores, throwing rocks at police officers. This, this, this is completely disassociated from reality. This is, this is absolute delusion. These are not warriors fighting for justice. These are 
thugs in the streets who are burning down Black-owned businesses and making it more dangerous for Black people by defunding police who protect Black communities. Michelle Obama says that she fears her daughters giving their dri- getting their driver's license. This is what she said, and I quote, many of us still live in fear as we go to the grocery store or worry about walking our dogs or allowing our children to get a license. Every time they, Sasha and Malia, get in a car by themselves, I worry about what assumption is being made by somebody who doesn't know anything about them. The fact that they're good students and polite girls, but maybe they're playing their music a little loud. Maybe somebody sees the back of their head and makes an assumption, end quote. Here's my question for Michelle Obama. When has that ever happened? Literally, tell me one time a Black person was shot in the back of the head because they were Black and playing their music too loudly. One time, give me one single example. If you do, I will stand next to you and I will condemn that and I will decry that and I will fight side by side with you because that would be horrendous. It's never happened. It's literally never happened. Michelle Obama's acting like a race baiter. She is intentionally stoking racial divide. Shame on her. She should know better. So the Black Lives Matter narrative is being perpetuated by powerful people, but it's false. The Black Lives Matter narrative is false. Here are the actual facts about systemic racism in policing. The Department of Justice's Bureau of Justice Statistics issued a report. This report was designed to answer whether police were arresting people at disproportionate rates based on crime reports. Okay, this is a really interesting way of determining whether there is systemic racism in arrests specifically. Because, for example, if Black people commit 30% of a certain crime and they account for 60% of arrests for that certain crime, there's a disparity between the percentage of crimes committed and the percentage of arrests happening, right? So you look and you say, well, is the element that causes that disproportionate um, rate, is that race? Similarly, if the shoe were on the other foot and white people committed 30% of crimes, but they were only arrested for 15% of that type of crime committed, you would ask, well, what element causes that disproportionate rate? And you might ask, is that because of race, right? So this is a, this is a good metric to determine whether there's systemic race in racism inherent to arrests in our nation. Well, according to the Wall Street Journal, the Department of Justice report concluded, and I quote, there was no statistically significant difference by race between how likely people were to commit serious violent crimes and how likely they were to be arrested. For example, for non-fatal violent crimes, 35% of reported offenders were Black and 33% of arrests were Black Americans. So actually, the number of arrests was slightly, slightly lower percentage-wise than the percentage of Black Americans committing those crimes, right? So there's not that disparity that there would be if there were systemic racism in arrests. Okay, now I know that that's not the only metric. I know that's not the only metric to determine whether there's systemic racism in police. You can talk about fatal police shootings. You can talk about non-lethal use of force, but disparity in arrest percentages justified against the percentage of crimes committed by a certain racial demographic, that's a very good metric to determine whether there's systemic racism in police interactions, okay? The true number that's disproportionate that the Black Lives Matter movement will not talk about, they will not talk about this. In fact, they'll accuse you of engaging in whataboutism. They'll accuse you of being a racist if you mention this. They will not talk about the crimes committed by Black Americans compared to the percentage of the population, the percentage of crimes committed by Black Americans compared to the percentage of the Black population in our country. This is where the disparity lies. This is where there is a disproportionate number. In 2018, Black Americans 
made up 53% of homicide offenders. They committed 60% of robberies in our country, yet they only account for 13% of the U.S. population. That is an important disparity. That is a disproportionate rate. But the Black Lives Matter movement won't ask why. They won't let you ask why. They don't want to fix that. They don't want to know the reality of the situation. Instead, they want to perpetuate false narratives. But the reality of the situation is police officers are 18 and a half times more likely to be killed by a black male than an unarmed black male is to be killed by the police. Listen to that number very closely. Police officers are 18 and a half times more likely to be killed by a black male than an unarmed black male is to be killed by police. Okay? In August of 2019, these are not isolated studies or isolated data. In August of 2019, the National Academy of Sciences published research showing, quote, no significant evidence of anti-Black disparity in the likelihood of being fatally shot by police. Again, not an isolated study. Not an isolated study. Professor Peter Moskos of John Jay College of Criminal Justice at CUNY, he also did a study, and he found that police are actually less likely to kill Black people than white people in similar circumstances or the same circumstances. This is what's known as the Ferguson effect. This is my commentary, not the professor's. The Ferguson effect came after Officer Darren Wilson shot Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, and the Black Lives Matter movement blew up, right? Even though the FBI knew at the time that Michael Brown was not running away from the officer. It was not hands up, don't shoot. That was a false narrative. The Ferguson effect ignores the facts of the case and focuses just on race, assuming that the white police officer is wrong and the black perpetrator is right. Okay, the FBI knew that Michael Brown had turned around and was lunging towards Officer Darren Wilson at the time that Officer Darren Wilson fired his weapon. The Ferguson effect makes police officers frightened to do their jobs, frightened, because they're frightened of being targeted by race, because that's what the Black Lives Matter movement does. They stereotype people by race. In fact, in reality, white perpetrators are 1.3 times more likely than blacks to die at the hands of police. This is not new information. As early as 1994, the Justice Department, of course, that's the Bill Clinton Justice Department, found that Black people had a lower chance of prosecution than white people in 75 major American cities. So we don't have this spate of police officers indiscriminately shooting Black men for being Black, as the Black Lives Matter movement says. We don't have disparities, disproportionate numbers of arrests compared to the percentage of crimes committed by certain racial demographics. We have white people who are more likely to be shot than black people by police in similar or the same circumstances. And we have black people who have a lower chance of prosecution than white people in 75 major American cities. So where is the systemic racism in policing that the Black Lives Matter movement is talking about? If there is systemic racism, Let's call it out. Let's condemn it. But name it specifically. Tell me exactly what it is and give me data and examples to back it up. You can't because systemic racism does not exist in American policing. Okay, so that is the narrative of the Black Lives Matter movement. The Black Lives Matter movement narrative is false. The movement itself is also a dangerous fraud. The founder of the movement or the co-founder of the movement of Black Lives Matter, her name is Patrice Coolers. She admitted that she is flattered by comparisons to Mao Zedong. Yeah, this is the same woman, by the way, who also admitted that she was a trained Marxist. She also owns four homes worth over $3 million, $3.2 million, yet is an avowed anti-capitalist. And now she says that she is flattered by one of the most brutal, deadly 
communist dictators in all of history. Listen. That was at the art publications table today. And I was speaking to this uh, young person from Arizona who's trying to fight uh, SB 1070. And I was, he, he, he grabbed a book and he said, it's like Mao's Red Book. And I was like, man, that's what I was thinking. And it was just really cool to hear him make that connection. I was like, how about you buy like 10 to 15 of these books and you all have like a youth like organizing group where you talk about it and you really try to engage this. And we can just kind of, we need to build off of this. And so that leads me to um, a point that I, I actually wanted to kind of focus on today which is, um, I think I have a, a really important role in speaking to youth. I, I have, maybe it's because I came in the movement at 17 and a half, so I have like just a knack for knowing how to organize young people into this organization and kind of teach them this, this politic and then hear them now organize other people. Let's just remember that 45 million innocent people died under Mao Zedong's rule. I can't even mentally fathom that amount of people. They died. Under Mao's rule, sanctioned by local communist parties, people were cannibalized. People were cannibalized if they did not adhere to Mao Zedong's communist ideology. His teenage enforcers, his teenage police force, ate people to force submission to his ideology. Yet the woman who founded the Black Lives Matter movement is flattered by comparisons to him. This disgusts me at my absolute deepest level. This is a woman that we're supposed to revere. This is a woman we're supposed to admire. This is a woman we're supposed to follow. Are you kidding? It's not isolated to just her either. She's not some aberration within the Black Lives Matter movement. The national organization itself also adheres to a socialist ideology and they admit this with their own mouth. The Black Lives Matter National Movement issued a list of demands, all socialist. This is what they demanded. The national organization demanded that politicians resist using what they call the coup, the January 6th events, as an excuse for cracking down on Black Lives Matter's, quote, mostly peaceful demonstrations. So the mostly peaceful demonstrations they're talking about, I don't know if you remember the CNN clip that was going around where the CNN reporter was like, yes, look at all around me, we have Black Lives Matter demonstrations, mostly peaceful. Don't pay any attention to the arson and the fire and the explosions and the fireworks and the bombs that are going off behind me. That's nothing, mostly peaceful. We can see it for ourselves. It was not mostly peaceful. And these people should be held accountable for the destruction of American cities. The Black Lives Matter movement, nonetheless, also demands that Trump be immediately convicted in the United States Senate. They demand that Trump be banned from holding elected office in the future ever again. They demand that Trump be permanently banned from social media. And they demand consequences for any and all Republicans who expressed any concern about the final electoral college vote or expressed any support for Donald Trump after the November election. The consequences that the Black Lives Matter movement is calling for is they want any and all Republicans to be expelled from office and barred from seeking another office ever again. Talk about socialists. They also demand the U.S. military and the Capitol Police be investigated for, quote, ties to white supremacy. Their proof? Well, nothing. They just label anybody that they don't like as white supremacists. These people are nuts. Okay, speaking of sensible people, which we were not, but speaking of sensible people, let me talk about my friend Spencer Clavin. I don't want to compliment him too much because I don't want his head to be as big as his biceps, but you should watch his show. I really advocate that you subscribe to Young Heretics. 
uh, wherever you get your podcasts. You can visit youngheretics.com to find out exactly what platform you prefer to watch this amusing show. So if you don't already know, Spencer hosts an amazing weekly podcast. Like us, he's fighting the culture wars. So I love to read, so does Spencer. I love that Spencer reads books that are even nerdier than the books that I read, and I love getting his take on them. Sometimes he talks about music, and I forgive him for that. I still listen. Sometimes he talks about movies, and he knows I'm not going to watch them, but I like to hear his breakdown anyway. If you're not already listening to Spencer's podcast, Young Heretics, you really should be. It's produced by Soundfront, same guys that produce my podcast, and so many other great things like Verdict with Ted Cruz. Um, Spencer is sometimes even funny, although if you tell him that, I will deny it, even though it's on camera. Please go subscribe right now and listen at youngheretics.com. And now for a part of the show I like to call the squad is always wrong about everything. This time, they're wrong about the Israel versus Gaza conflict. Okay, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. Yeah, Rashida Tlaib. She says Israel is killing children indiscriminately. Is this true? Is this false? What is reality? This, my friends, is the reality. Take a listen. Israel called off an airstrike because Palestinian children were present. They could have killed terrorist leaders, but they didn't because they knew that innocent children would die. Rashida Tlaib is speaking in delusion. She is not speaking in reality. You can tell in the Israeli versus Hamas conflict, you can tell who the good guy is and who the bad guy is in a very simple way. Ask yourself, who is holding children up as human shields? And then ask yourself, who calls off airstrikes because innocent children might be harmed? Ask yourself, who endangers children's lives by hiding rockets and weapons and terrorists in schools and hospitals and neighborhoods and civilian centers versus who gives medical care to terrorists who are trying to kill civilians? The answer obviously is Hamas terrorists use children as human shields and hide amongst civilians. And Israel does everything they possibly can to protect innocent human life while defending their own people. Rashida Tlaib is speaking in delusion. She is not speaking in reality. Now, of course, we all know that the conflict between Israel and Hamas is funded by Iran, that Iran is responsible for this. That is the reality of the situation. In fact, a leader of the Islamic Jihad admits that rockets, funding, weapons, training is all provided Iran. Listen. Now, this is really important. It's, it's obvious, right? That's no surprise to anybody. But this is really important because Joe Biden is partially responsible for what's happening in the Middle East. Because when Biden is weak on Iran, when he lifts restrictions, when he lifts sanctions and money flows back into Iran, it doesn't go to the Iranian people. No, the Iranian regime holds the Iranian people hostage. The money that flows into Iran goes directly into funding terrorism and terror groups like Hamas, whose goal is the destruction of Israel. Okay? The reality 
is that the terrorism that's being committed is being committed by Hamas. And that brings us to Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. Ilhan Omar says that Israel is committing terrorism. This is her tweet. Israeli airstrikes killing civilians in Gaza is an act of terrorism. Palestinians deserve protection. Unlike Israel, missile defense programs such as Iron Dome don't exist to protect Palestinian civilians. This is false. This is absolutely false. What happened here? The reality of the situation, Hamas attacked and Israel's defending. Israel's not the aggressor. Hamas is the aggressor. Hamas attacks civilian centers. They have lobbed over a thousand rockets at Israel. Guess how many of those rockets didn't reach Israel and therefore fell among Palestinian civilians? 200. 220 percent. So who is committing terrorism against their own people? Who is indiscriminately killing children? And who is simply defending their own territory and right to exist? It's not hard to see, Elhan Omar. It's not hard to see, if you want to see it. Okay. So the next allegation is that Israel conducted an assault on the Al-Aqsa Mosque, right? This is simply unfactual. This is Democrats in the United States and pro-Palestinian activists all around the world literally falling for Hamas propaganda, okay? What happened at that mosque has absolutely nothing to do with Israel being hostile towards freedom of religion. It has nothing to do with Israel being hostile towards Muslims. It has nothing to do with Israel being hostile towards those trying to pray at the mosque, okay? In fact, let's remember it's Jews who are not allowed to pray at the Temple Mount, which is the holiest site in the Jewish religion, okay? The truth of the matter is, Palestinian activists, agitators, terrorists were hiding rockets and other warmongering equipment and resources in this mosque. And they did this on purpose. They knew that Israel is not going to attack the mosque. They know that it's going to present these images that make people sympathetic, that make it seem like they're the victims. But we know the truth. There are piles of rocks. There are photos that show piles of rocks being stored in the mosque. What exactly, what role do those rocks play in the prayer of Muslims at this mosque? Oh, that's right, nothing. What the rocks are there for is to be thrown at Israeli police officers, to injure them. Okay, the fire that was started wasn't started by Israeli activists. No, it was started by a firework that the Palestinian agitators were going to use to attack Israeli police. The firework went wrong and started a fire. But you don't hear this on the mainstream media. You don't hear this from the squad, no. The squad acts like Muslims and Palestinians are being victimized, which I suppose they are actually, by the Palestinian Authority and Hamas, not by Israel. This is also not a land dispute. It never was a land dispute. This is not about Israel denying Palestinians rights either. Let's talk about that first. So there are 1.9 million Arabs that live in Israel. This is out of a population of 9 million. 1.9 million Arabs all have full civil rights in Israel. Contrast that with the number of Jews living in Gaza. Zero. Out of two million people, zero. Because they'd be killed. So this is not about Israel denying Palestinian rights. Don't fall for that. This is also not a land dispute. Palestinians do not want peace. Their goal, they want to destroy Israel. It's not controversial, that's just reality. Right? Israel has accepted the idea of a two-state solution multiple times in the past. I can name multiple things. The Peel Commission in 1936, the United Nations Partition Plan in 1948, the Clinton parameters in 2000. It goes on and on. In 2008, again, 
Palestinians time and time again reject peace because they don't want peace. They want the destruction of Israel. They want the destruction of Jews. Of course, this is not just a land dispute. This is about anti-Semitism, attacks on Jews because they're Jews, attacks on Israel because it's the Jewish state. The squad ought to know better. The squad does know better, actually. I don't believe they're dumb. They know what they're doing. But the son of Hamas, the son of the founder of Hamas, who was trained to take over the terror organization, and he left when he saw the atrocities being perpetuated against uh, the people. He defected to Israel. He became an Israeli asset. And he recently did an interview with the New York Post. He said, Hamas hates Israel more than they love their own children. How chilling is that? You see those visuals, you see those images. That's the reality. Hamas hates Israel more than they love their own children. And the squad is falling for that propaganda. AOC called Israel an apartheid state. Okay, meanwhile, anti-Semitic attacks are being levied against American Jews in her own city, in New York City. In the past week, Jews in America have been spat on, firebombed, punched in the stomach, brutally beaten, harassed while eating, slurred with profanities, targeted with projectiles, burned with weaponized fireworks. And the pro-Palestinian U.S. politicians, they're essentially silent. They're essentially silent. Sure, they might make a token comment, be nice to each other, but it's nothing compared to the passion with which they speak about the pro-Palestinian Hamas ideology and narrative. If you don't speak out strongly against anti-Semitism, if you blame Israel, then you're part of the problem. There's no two ways about it. Okay, now can we talk about UFOs? Let's talk about it. So we're expecting a release from the Pentagon of unidentified aerial phenomena This is UAP, which is another word for UFO. We are expecting a release of the Pentagon's UAP task force report uh, to the Senate. This is supposed to happen within a month, right? And it is just, it is causing just a wave of speculation about UFOs because according to a recent 60 Minutes piece, UFOs are spotted in restricted U.S. airspace, quote, every day for at least a couple of years, right? So cue the UFO speculation. Okay, even Barack Obama, when he was asked about UFOs, said we can't explain how UFOs move, their trajectory. He essentially played into this idea that UFOs could be alien aircraft. And, you know, I gave this a lot of thought because, as you know, I'm a Catholic. It's not contradictory of the Catholic faith to think that there could be life elsewhere on other planets. You know, God is all-powerful. He can do whatever he wants. How would I know if there's life on other planets? I don't. Neither does anybody else. But I certainly don't know. However, I was reading a lot of people's takes on what they think that these phenomena are, these sightings are, and I have found no better take than from Andrew Foley at the National Review, okay? So let me read you just a little bit of what he wrote over there. He wrote, and I quote, the renewed interest in UFOs is primarily driven by three grainy black and white uh, infrared videos. The Navy confirmed that the videos titled Go Fast, F-L-I-R, and Gimbal, captured UFO encounters by jets from the aircraft carriers USS Nimitz and USS Theodore Roosevelt. Okay, so Foley goes on to talk about the different coverage of this and how it's, it's, it's nonpartisan, right? There are people on both sides of the aisle, Barack Obama, Tucker Carlson, who are making this seem like it's a national security risk. So Foley says, Carlson's coverage of the GoFast video expressly claims that it shows technologies that are far beyond our current understanding of aerodynamics and reveals, quote, things that are maneuvering in ways that no aircraft that we are currently aware of have the capability to. 
He adds that the UFOs have no flight surfaces, no wing or anything approaching a wing, and no propulsion, so infrared doesn't pick up any jet trail or rocket exhaust. Okay, so Filet goes, the video shows a small object apparently moving low across the water. He's breaking this down. However, the UFO was almost certainly a seabird or a balloon distorted by parallax. Filet explains parallax is an effect that makes an object close to an observer, but filmed against a more distant background, seem to speed up as the camera moves. Data from the Navy camera clearly indicates the unidentified object had a wingspan of about four to seven feet in diameter, roughly the wingspan of a Canadian goose, and flew at an altitude of 8,000 feet well below the 29,000 feet maximum altitude of the bird, Alternatively, the Department of Defense description of the object expressly mentions a balloon, perhaps a weather balloon, as a possible explanation in the paperwork that accompanied the release of the video. So Filet goes, if it flies like a duck, is the size of a duck, and quacks like a duck, it probably isn't an alien spacecraft or ultra-advanced drone from a foreign power, but headlines such as U.S. Navy pilot spots UFO generate a lot more clicks than pilot sees goose on infrared camera. (laughs) Although, honestly, I would click that. Okay, so Filet goes on to debunk the other two videos as well, at least hypothetically. These are his theories. No one has any proof one way or the other. This is just a plausible explanation. He says the FLIR video was shot on an infrared camera by a USS Nimitz aircraft and seems to just show a passenger plane from a distance. The object's unusual motion is easily explained by the camera repeatedly zooming in and out and switching between viewing modes. Okay, well, that's not very sexy, is it? (laughs) Okay, the third video, the gimbal video, Filet says shows a hot metal object traveling in a straight line against the wind. Commentary from the fighter pilots in the video suggests there were multiple objects off screen traveling in the same direction. One likely explanation is a meteor breaking up or pieces of space junk burning up in Earth's atmosphere. The odd rotation of the object is almost certainly a product of the motion of the gimbal camera itself. Then he goes, another recent sighting involved UFOs that allegedly harassed the Navy's Arleigh Burke class destroyer USS Russell off the coast of California, they were almost certainly just conventional aircraft filmed with an out-of-focus camera. The objects blinked in the same pattern as a Boeing 737, and the naval ship was directly under an air route for planes flying into Los Angeles from Asia. The high alleged speeds and turn rates of the objects reported by some witnesses are not shown in the video, but could easily be explained by parallax. End quote. That, to me, seems like the most plausible explanation Sorry to ruin your day. I know I ruined my brother's, my brother-in-law's day by sending him that article. Please feel free to tell me why I'm wrong uh, or what other plausible theories you think might be reality. Speaking of where you can t- talk to me directly, please join us on Locals. And there we have the great and powerful Jay Hay, my producer, telling me that we are out of time for today. We actually still do have more to talk about, so please join us tomorrow. But in the meantime, think for yourself. Use critical thought. Always question authority follow the facts, and don't let government or corporate wokeism or anybody bully you into being a sheep. Please subscribe to The Liz Wheeler Show, download the episodes, give us a five-star rating, and in the meantime, this is The Liz Wheeler Show. 